thanks so much for joining Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we welcome Valinda Rutledge, who is the Chief Corporate Affairs Officer at Upstream. Thank you so much for being here, Valinda. Thank you very much for having me. It's funny, we rescheduled this interview many, many times because of very primary care-related things, no voice and other types of things like that. <laughs> so we're living, we're living what we're talking about here today. So what I really love about you, in our pre-interview, you talked so much about your passion for helping the patients with their prescriptions. For people who might not have seen our other interviews with Upstream, Upstream is a really cool service. They support physicians by embedding a clinical pharmacist within the practice who then helps support the patients and really just has so many benefits to the patients and to the provider. And so, Valinda, you have a clinical background and then so much background working at very high levels in value-based care. And then you came to Upstream and here you said that the differentiator for you is the focus on the patients who so many times have either chronic conditions, their older population, and they have lots of comorbidity, comorbidities and many, many medications, which causes so many challenges. So tell us, what is it that just if you feel about upstream and the work that you're doing with these pharmacists and patients to empower the patients to really take charge of their health? Yeah. So I think upstream is so exciting, the care model in which, as you said, we embed the pharmacist within the practice at the primary care level. And that allows a real open dialogue between the Medicare beneficiary and the pharmacist as they are talking about these medications. Most patients um, that have two or three, um, sometimes four uh, comorbidities in Medicare, they can have 10 to 12 medications a day. And that's sort of overwhelming to take on a daily basis to manage the side effects, to manage the cost. And we believe it's really important for us to have a face-to-face -face interaction with that patient to talk about that those medications that they are taking, how they're impacting their life, and what can we do to work together in terms of having a better uh, medication adherence. Yeah, it's really tremendous, Belinda, that uh, focus that you have on the patient, which I find fascinating because as you were talking about with us previously, there's so many other interventions that could possibly be made. And, and in, in fact, you know, that you've helped uh, uh, clients make in other lifetimes. Uh, but this particular focus seems to jump out because of the focus on the consumer and making sure that they're really understanding what's going on with their care and getting the value. Um, maybe you can briefly mention, Valinda, what are some of the other interventions that you think health systems have tried uh, and, and that are the low-hanging fruit, as you've said? And how does this uh, particular intervention led by the pharmacist, uh, you know, differentiate in that regard? Yeah. So um, what other, uh, as we have implemented total cost of care models like ACO or even bundled payments, episodic payments um, in the past, um, most of the initial um, interactions have been surrounding reducing ER visits, reducing going to the SNFs, a skilled nursing facility, and moving them to home care and have home care uh, take care of them. And um, certainly those are all invaluable and very, very important. But 
when you start with the medications that someone is taking on a daily basis, it's a much more personal interaction. And I think the other thing it does is it gives that patient a degree of independence too, because those other things in decreasing ER visits and, and rather 10 days in a sniff and then five days in home care and, and looking at care coordination, those feel like it's being done to the patient versus when you sit down and say, okay, these are the 12 medications you take a day. Tell me about the side effects of these. What works? What doesn't work? And let's figure it out together what is uh, best for you. And maybe there's other different kinds of medications or we can reduce it. So instead of 12, you're down to eight a day. That to me is a much more personal intervention. And it also allows that patient to be in control too. I like that you were saying, you know, that they really are in control and it, that face-to-face, -face, especially in the initial in interaction, you said after that, you know, if they need to do it virtually, that can happen, but really being able to sit there and disarm them and right. give them a safe space to be able to say, you know what, I, I can't afford this medication, or you know what, I really feel very dizzy with this. What are some of those things that you find are revealed when you're sitting there talking to those people, these common concerns? Are there anything that just, any of them that just jump out at you, like, oh my gosh, this is really a bigger problem than we even realized? Right, right. So I think there's a couple things. Number one is sitting down with them. First of all, understanding from their perspective, why they take the medications. So sometimes right away, uh, they do not understand that this is for blood pressure, okay? And this is for something else, okay? So making sure that they understand why the medication was um, you know, prescribed. Second, of course, everyone should easily do this is the um, the counterindications. Do you know what I mean? Is there a drug that they're taking that is, um, uh, you know, interacting negatively with the other? That there is less of that because of the shared uh, electronic medical record. And so a lot of times they'll give the drugs alert very easily to the pharmacist or the physician. But sometimes that can happen. And then we go into, and this I think is very unique, is what are the side effects of the drugs? When do you take this versus that? Do you take all 12 of them in the morning or do you separate them out? And is there some that you really should take in the evening? Is there some that we prescribed in the evening, but you find because of the side effect that you're taking them at noon? So we have a real intense conversation about those side effects of the drugs and why they're taking it at certain times. Then we start talking to them about when they are sinking the drugs, because as we talked uh, previously, they will have different, um, you know, one will be, um, you know, uh, refilled the first of the month. There's another one, the seventh of the month. And so we try to figure out a way to sync them all together into a refill. So they're not feeling like their life is being consumed with running to the pharmacy to pick it up or worrying about whether they're going to run out of it. And then final, we have the conversation about 
Is there some that just do not make you feel good while you're taking them? And so you tell us that you're taking them, but it looks like you're only filling them, you know, every other month versus every month. Okay. So is there a reason why? And to have them open up and tell us, yeah, to be honest, I don't like taking that drug. It doesn't make me feel good. So I kind of skip it. And we recognize the importance of the drug and may have a conversation about that or switch to another one. And then final is the co-pays. Sometimes the co-pays can be so high that it is very, very difficult for the patient to stay on the medication adherence. And no one has said when the physician writes the script, the physician doesn't know that that costs $200 out of pocket until mid-year. And as you know, previously, I was telling you about um, a friend of mine that had an out-of-pocket of, of $2,500 a month. And I was shocked. I was certain that somehow they had messed up. And I said, are you sure you have a Part D? Yeah, we do. And they called. And sure enough, it was that was the 20% copay of that. And I don't think any physician prescribing that or most of them would not be aware of how much that is. And so having those in-depth conversations with them about their medications, medication adherence is a key cornerstone mm -hmm. in terms of managing the comorbidities of chronic disease. Now, of course, there are other aspects of it, lifestyle, how we eat, the amount of exercise that we have. And we certainly have to have those conversations along with them, particularly if they're diabetic. Um, but uh, most of it is surrounding the medications. It's amazing, Valinda, as you're talking about it with us in just a few minutes, I'm feeling the value. I'm feeling like, wow, I would... I could certainly appreciate how a patient sitting there over the course of an hour initial conversation you mentioned and then follow-up conversations would feel uh, very much uh, how how important all of these uh, multiple different aspects are. So it's really tremendous. Uh, maybe you can help us, Valinda, understand what are some of the patient reactions? Are there any anecdotes that emerge of how they're uh, responding or what you've been able to help them with? And, and uh, related to that, what are some of the uh, more global outcomes? Are you starting to see a reduction in, uh, in costs and, and better outcomes uh, overall? Yeah, we certainly have lots of anecdotal stories in which patients suddenly realize the value. Oh, this was for my blood pressure. I wasn't aware of that. Do you know what I mean? I thought it was for something else. And so I think the value of that, the value of uh, seeing their health improve, as well as the independence, this kind of model leads to the beneficiary feeling that they have some degree of independence. So the intervention isn't being done to them, the inter the intervention and the care transformation is we are in partnership with them. And that's very, very different than saying to a patient, instead of going to the ED, I want you to call this number so we can manage it so it avoids the ED. Or you're going to be discharged from the hospital, so I'm going to send you home and we'll do home care at home. This is a much more personal intervention. And as you can imagine, the results have been 
incredible. And I certainly, uh, Dr. Mark Reardon, I think that has been on this before, has a much um, greater appreciation and can give you all the numbers. But we certainly have seen major, uh, major difference in terms of reducing uh, comorbidities that we've seen and some of the outcomes of it. Now, I think what's going to be exciting is for us not only looking at the outcomes on a short-term basis, a year or two years. I want to see what happens in five years. What is the decrease that we're going to see in strokes or uh, diabetic uh, blindness? Those are the things that uh, some of the um, implications and some of the downstream success of what we're doing is going to be much more long-term. But short-term, we're definitely seeing it from a short-term basis. Uh, from it, the impacts, but I think significantly, once we have our HbA1c3s, we're seeing the range, um, you know, of success that they're staying um, into uh, good ranges. Um, are the numbers of them have tremendously increased. So what I'm anticipating is in four or five years, I'll be able to come back to this podcast and Mark will be able to say, this is what we would expect, diabetic blindness or uh, diabetic uh, amputations or renal failure should have been this amount uh, per thousand. And we're seeing it cut in half. Uh, that, I think, would be so exciting for us, and we're measuring those long-term implications of it. It's fascinating because when you're talking about these things and all the different ways that something that sounds as simple as prescription adherence, that is not simple for so many reasons, as we all know, it almost is kind of like playing healthcare roulette. Because mm -hmm. these people quit taking medications because it's expensive, but they don't know that that one's really for blood pressure. So what happens right. when you stop taking it? Or right. they get on a blood pressure medication, but the first couple of days they're feeling all sweaty and yucky. And right. so they're like, I'm not taking this. Right. And so they really, they're making decisions based on things about how they feel, about whether it's physically or in their bank accounts, you know, all these different decisions that are incredibly monumental and decisions about their life are being made on things that are visceral reactions to how they're feeling physically or how they're feeling, you know, when they're paying. And with nobody there to guide them and really talk about the whole thing and especially compounding it with all of the pharmacy issues that you have now where you pr traditionally would be like, okay, I go to Walmart, I go to Walgreens, I go to CVS. You don't do that now. Now I go wherever they have augmentin. I go mm -hmm. wherever they're going to have this. So I might go here for this and this and this and this, but wherever they have the drug is where I'm going to go. And so I feel like that complicates it too, because then you have all these different field dates, all these different places, try and get whatever, right. what's available, substitutions. So your service is just so absurdly valuable to everybody. And then for the physician to be able to say, hey, I have this person, they have your back. We're right. with you is right. unparalleled. But one question I guess I'll ask, it's been a lot on my mind recently, is uh, ultimately, you know, this model, as, as amazing as it is by extending the physician's practice with pharmacists, still relies so much on the pharmacist and then spending so much time with the patient. Do we ultimately have enough pharmacists to go around to provide this kind of intervention, especially when you're operating at scale and doing this for hundreds of thousands of practices? Yeah, so I will tell you, 
that at this point we do. And in fact, when we put just recently, we put out um, to uh, hire several new more pharmacists for our models for two positions. And I think we got 60 applicants. Okay, so I this model very much appeals to the pharmacists because right now they're in a position in which they're counting. They're just counting the pills. And we were talking about when we want to go to the pharmacists um, and the pharmacy to ask one question. A lot of times you have to stand in line. It could be 20 or 30 minutes. They have five minutes. They'll break away from something to ask that question. And you just don't have that access. They're so busy just sitting there counting 30 pills <laughs> and um, signing off on what the pharmacy techs um, have put in. That having an opportunity to sit down with the patients and interact with them is so fulfilling for them that we are at this point having no problems in terms of filling those positions because it is such, uh, to them, it is why they went to school. And it, it, you know, and it has not, in their estimation, been real fulfilling to set um, and uh, behind a, um, a wall and count 30 pills. And so this allows them to actually have that interaction with the patient, to have the patient at the end say, you know, this has been invaluable. I can't tell you, thank you so much. You know, and you helped me figure out how I can bring down my co-pays and now I understand my medications. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. What is this like for you, for someone who started it with a clinical background and now you're moving into this? So it has to be very full circle. And the passion that you have for this obviously is driven by something. So what does it feel like for you to have this full circle moment, being able to be back helping these patients on a, a at scale? And right. then where did your passion for helping them this way come from? Yeah. So um, as I said, I started as a nurse. And um, in fact, I was a oncology nurse and worked with pediatric and adult oncology patients and then became a, a nurse practitioner. And um, that interaction one-on-one -on -one with the patient was something that I always, I look back and some of my best jobs was actually um, being with uh, some of the pediatric oncology patients, helping them and their families. So to see a model in which we're actually interacting with the patient one-on-one, we're not doing it to the patient, we are partnering with the patient and we're helping them get independent so that they're able to manage these medications themselves. That to me is so uh, fulfilling and to be a part of this company in which I can see the difference it's making for Medicare beneficiaries in terms of, um, as I said, it's going to be exciting to see the long-term downstream implications of this in terms of decrease in blindness, amputations, uh, having patients go on dialysis. Um, and it's because we're not doing it to the patient. We're inner, we are having a inner um, a relationship with the patient to transform their care together. 
Thank you so much for being here and sharing that story. I loved hearing all about this and the way that you guys are serving patients because it really is incredibly noble and important and making a difference. You just said blindness and amputation, right. literally the life and limb. I mean, there it doesn't get much better than that. So thank you so much for sharing this. It's amazing work. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciated the opportunity. Linda, it was uh, delightful and very inspiring, really. Uh, more power to you and the folks at Upstream. Thank you. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.